Romans 15. Today on this, the first Sunday of the Advent season, we're looking forward with great anticipation for everything that we're going to study, everything that we're going to learn, everything that we're going to consider from observing the true meaning of Advent or the true meaning of Christmas. As I've said many times in the past, and I'll say it many more throughout the next several weeks, this season, this time of year is not about commercialism. It's not. I don't care what the television says. I don't care what it says on the radio. I don't care about all the advertisements. It's not about commercialism. It's not about how much you can spend or how much you can get. And you know, when it, 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 even in Christendom, even in uh, the church, there are two classes of people. There are some people who choose not to celebrate Christmas, and there are also those that do. Both can miss a tremendous blessing. I've been in both camps. I have. I have been in both camps. The people that don't celebrate Christmas miss a, miss a real blessing and the true meaning. Because it's not about the tree. It's not about the lights, no matter how beautiful they are. It's not about the presents. And I will say that to the people that do celebrate it. It's not about the tree. It's not about the presents. It's not about the lights. This time of year, the reason why gifts are given, the reason why there will be feasts, the reason for all of it is because of the incarnation. It's because of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is because of a gift. The season is about a gift, but it is a gift that is not made with earthly hands and it is not purchased with earthly money. It is a gift that, is, that embodies many things, especially the things that are represented by the candles of the wreath. And the first that we will consider today, the first candle that we lit was the candle of hope. And that's the title of the message. Perpetual hope. Look with me now at Romans chapter 15, and I want to read to your hearing verses 6 through 13. Hear now the word of the true and living God, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm that the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would pour out your blessings, not just upon the reading of your word, but upon its hearing and its proclamation. God, I pray that you would take these verses and that you would apply them to our hearts and to our minds, Lord, that we would look past the things that society tells us to think about this time of year, that we would look through it all. Even things that we hold sacred, that they might be tradition to us, they may even be 
pleasant things. Help us to look through it all and look to the true meaning of what this time of year means. And we celebrate hope. Hope that comes from knowing the true Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that if there is one here that knows not that hope, let them not leave this property without finding out about the hope that is found in Jesus. Draw us all to a closer walk with you through this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christmas is coming. It's on the way. There are loved ones to see. There are gifts to give. There's baking to share. We prepare our homes for the celebration, right? I'm sure some of you yesterday were either out shopping or at the house decorating to prepare for Christmas celebration. The Advent season is a beautiful reminder that you know what? We need to prepare our hearts. We need to prepare our hearts like we prepare our homes. And each year, earlier and earlier and earlier, people start to decorate, especially in my house. We don't even get through Halloween hardly and we're putting up lights and stuff. But we need to prepare our hearts and minds like we prepare our homes to celebrate the birth of our Savior. At the start of, the, uh, of this week, we lit the first of the four candles on the Advent wreath, the candle of hope. Hope is defined as confident expectation. Confident expectation. Folks, we live in a day where you cannot find very many reasons to hope. You do, I've said it many times. You turn on that television and you look at it long enough, you look at the news, you're going to be without hope. You're going to be depressed. You're going to be beaten down. You're going to be downtrodden. The world tries to suck the hope out of us. How about you this morning? Is your heart filled with hope? Do you have a confident expectation of your tomorrow? What happens when trouble comes? What happens when the road is filled with loss and you're weighed down with stress? When confident expectation of tomorrow seems to dwindle, what can you and I do? How can you and I walk in hope when we feel hopeless inside? One word. One word that answers the con one word that is the answer to confident expectation. Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ. Hope in Jesus comes from more than just a belief that he was once a little baby in a manger. This hope in him has been called the anchor for the soul. It is something deep within that secures us through the storms of life. Our outline this morning has four points. Four points dissecting this passage as it relates to perpetual Christian hope. Think about that word perpetual. It means continuous. It means ongoing. It means it doesn't stop. Folks, we can have a hope that goes on and it will go on long after you and I are dead there is a hope there is a perpetual hope Pro point number one look what it says in verse 12 we see a plan of hope verse 12 look what it says it says again and again Isaiah saith there shall be a root of Jesse and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles in him shall the Gentiles trust there's a plan of hope a plan of hope for what for hope against the cosmic calamity. What's the cosmic calamity? Sin. Sin. I've said this many times. Mankind's greatest problem is that of sin. All of our problems, 
if you were to trace it back far enough, is is, uh, backed up to some type of sin. Whether our own or whether it was inherited from our first father Adam in the garden. Ever since the garden, when Satan had undone or tried to undo everything that God created, when his temptation caused Eve to be deceived and Adam to sin, thus creating that enmity, that separation between God and man, and all of mankind was subjected to the curse. Ever since then, God has had a plan of restoration, a plan of salvation, a plan of hope. Genesis 3.15, we read these words. It says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy heel, thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The crusher of the serpent's head would be a descendant of Adam, but it would also be God. The, 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 see, it, this is really where it, it stirs my soul. This is what uh, I love to study more than anything else. This is really what, uh, um, I mean, just puts me on a spiritual high is to study the study of Jesus, the study of the Godhead, learning more about who God is. I know some people love to study about heaven. And I look forward to it. I look forward to to the day when there's no more sin, no more disease, no more death. All the beauty and the splendor and the majesty of what heaven will be. But it won't, it will all pale in comparison to Christ, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this crusher of the serpent's head to come is going to be, it, it would be a descendant of Adam. That means he's going to be man, he's going to be flesh. And he's also going to be God. I want to read other, some other passages of Scripture to you. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43 beginning in verse 10. Listen to these words. Isaiah says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Now listen to this. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Not, but before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. All other religions have little gods with a little g, but they aren't a god. They don't have the power. They, they, they aren't any type of opposition for the God of the scripture. The kids and I were talking about it and we were talking about other world religions. We were talking about the people like the Greeks and the Romans that have all their gods. The Greeks and the Romans had God for everything. War, love, wine, all kind of stuff. And, and, and it could be very possible that the things that they worship as gods were demons, especially if you look at world religions like Hinduism and stuff and the, the statues that they create to worship, they look demonic. So that could be very much possible. But the Bible tells us there was no God before God and after him there will be no God. There is only one true and living God. And it is the God that we know of the Scripture. Isaiah will go on to say, or or God through Isaiah, I should say, goes on to say in verse 11 of Isaiah 43, he says, I, even I, am the Lord. And beside me there is no Savior. Beside me there is no Savior. So the Savior to come is also God. Let me keep reading. Isaiah 46, verse 9. Isaiah 46, verse 9. Listen to this. It says, remember the former things of old, for I am God. There is none else. I am God. There is none like me. 
Your ears should really uh, uh, pick, tune in and pick up on things like this because when God really wants to get a point across, He says it more than once. Over and over in Isaiah, He talks about how He is the only God. There is no other God before Him nor after Him. He is the only one. And salvation that comes is only going to come through Him. We read in the Gospel of John. I've told you before, John's Gospel is my favorite of, of all of them. All of them depict different things about the Lord. Matthew, you see Jesus as the perfect king. Mark, you see, uh, you see Jesus as the perfect man. Luke, you see Jesus as the perfect servant. John, you see him as the perfect God. And we, we uh, read the words of that beautiful prologue in John's gospel of John chapter one, where he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So think back. Remember what we just read. God said, there is no God before me. There will be no God after me. So the one who says that he is God must be God. And you think of the other things. Think about things that Jesus himself said. John chapter 8, verse 58, he says, Before Abraham was, I am. Nobody could say that. Moses couldn't say that. Abraham couldn't say that. David couldn't say that. If they did, it would be blasphemy. Jesus would say in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and my father are one. I can't say that. As a minister of the gospel, I can't say that. I can't say that the Father and I are one. I'm His creature. I, I belong to Him through the precious saving blood of Jesus Christ. I've been saved. I belong to Him. He's my God. He's provided for me. But I cannot say that He and I are one. For any other person to say that, that would be a blasphemous statement. But not Jesus. The crusher of the serpent's head the plan of hope, the second part of the Godhead, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the plan for the cosmic calamity. The, it goes on. That plan, look what it says in verse, uh, verse 10 of Romans 15. Romans 15, verse 10, look what it says. Rejoice ye Gentiles with His people. That plan would be extended to all mankind. It would not be just limited to that of the Jewish people. It, 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 that's what he's saying there. His people, the Jewish people. Jesus' first advent was to the Jewish people. But in the foreknown rejection of the Jewish people, that gift of salvation was always meant to be extended to every person from every tribe, every tongue, every kindred of every nation. Let me read to you again, Isaiah chapter 49. Listen to what it says in verse 6. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. Listen to this. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Folks, the plan of hope is Jesus. The plan of hope is Jesus. That's point number one. Point number two. We have an object of hope. Look again what it says. Look again what it says in verse 12. It says, And Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he, shall, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Verse 13, Now the God of hope 
fill you with all joy, peace, and believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. An object of hope. The same thing can be said of hope that is said of faith. It's only as true. It's only as real. It's only as good. It is only as secure as what that hope is placed upon. Let me say that again. Hope is only as good, is only as genuine, is only as real, is only as secure as what you put your hope upon. What is your hope in this morning? What is your hope in this morning? The world says that your, your hope needs to be placed in many things, right? Right? The, 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 the world says that you need to place your hope in various things. You think about people who are preppers. Right now, we should all prepare, you know, in, in, in some fashion. We should have a storehouse of, of goods in, in case, you know, the something were to happen. You know, we got a we, we've got, you know, extra toilet paper. God, we, we saw what happened in March of last year. Right. For, for months, we couldn't probably find toilet paper. So we should have storehouses. We should have stored goods. But eventually that stuff's going to run out of date. Eventually, you're going to have to make more. There's a house. There's a man who lives uh, just at the foot of the mountain on 58 is, is, uh, outside of Stewart. I could take you there right now. He has the most elaborate storage I've, uh, uh, storehouse I've ever seen. His whole garage full of stuff. Water, baked goods, canned goods, flour, sugar. Looks like he only has to go town about twice a year. He's prepared. He's ready to go. But that stuff will spoil. You don't eat it. That stuff will spoil. That stuff will rot. We shouldn't put our hope in stuff. And then there are people who put their hope and faith in guns. Got gun, got, got uh, safes full of guns, multiple safes, rooms full of guns. Buy them up, guns, guns, guns. And they say this stuff, well, if it, if, if, if the, if, if it were to get bad, better, they better not come to my house. Why? What are you going to do? You can't shoot one at a time. Unless you're holding pistols, but still, they'll misfire. The ammunition will go bad if you don't shoot it after a while. You can't put your hope in earthly stuff. And the world, especially here in the United States, wants us to put our hope and our trust in the government. Federal, state, and local. Right? We should know by now we can't trust those folks. We got a guy getting ready to go into Richmond. It's yet to be seen on how he's going to act. My hope's not in him. My hope's not in anyone on this earth. My hope is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. And people tell us, well, we put our hope in things of this world. All of that will let us down. Where's your hope at this morning? Because the only place where true hope is found, look what it says in verse 12. There shall be a root of Jesse. There shall be a root of Jesse. He that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and in him shall the Gentiles trust. Your hope is found in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in prophecy that the Messiah, the Savior, would be from the tribe of Judah. That's the lineage of David. And what was David's father's name? Jesse. So this root of Jesse is the Lord Jesus Christ. In him should trust be placed. In him is where we find hope. Jesus is our confident expectation. And when this object of our, when Jesus is the object of our, our hope, under, uh, under that, under point number two, I want to give you three sub points. Un, when, when Jesus is the object of our hope, there are three things that you and I can hope for. We can hope for help. 
We can hope for help. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are invited to come to Him and confidently ask for help. There are times when we all need hope, when we all need help. The world is hard. It is sin-cursed. Sometimes it's one thing after another. Sometimes it just, we just can't seem to uh, get out of the line of fire and we, and, and we don't know what to do. There is help. There is help. There is hope. We can hope for help and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can hope to overcome. We can hope to overcome. Look what, look what it says in verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Things that leave you and I just feeling hopeless from time to time, they come in many forms. They come in many forms. And I, I don't know every intricate detail, but as your pastor, I do know some of you, some of the things that you folks are dealing with. I, I, I know some of you, are, you know, uh, and this could apply to anybody, could be a fee, uh, 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 financial problems, problems in your marriage, Problems with your children. And you think, what am I going to do? Problems with your job. What am I going to do? Where am I going to turn? Where am I going to look for hope? Remember the words of Psalm 121. I lift mine eyes into the hills from where comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. And listen, he will not suffer your foot to be moved. He who keepeth Israel will never slumber nor sleep. God knows what you're going through. He knows where you're at and He knows how you think and feel. And He is there waiting and ready to give help and to give you that hope to overcome. Thirdly, hope for power. Hope for strength to endure what it is that we're going through. Sometimes, you know, we find ourselves having to go through something that we just don't, I I just can't do it. I don't have the physical strength. I don't have the wherewithal. I cannot do it. This is just too monstrous for me to go through. And we often think that that God can only be strong in us if we are strong. If we're strong. We've got to be strong in order for God to be strong through us. That's not true. It's just the opposite. Because when we are weak, that's when he shows himself mighty. Paul, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 was talking about that thorn in his flesh. He prayed for the Lord to take it away from him. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, we find these words that says, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. When we come to the end of ourselves and we've exhausted everything and we've taken our own wash rag of who we are and we've wrenched that thing down to the last drop. I've done everything I can. I've tried every avenue. I've done all that I know to do. I'm done. I quit. I I can't do anymore. I don't know what else to do. That's when God shows up and shows off. That's when God shows himself mighty. And Paul knew this. And he said, most gladly, therefore, I will glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, and in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. 
Seeing our weaknesses as the entry point of God's strength gives us access to his power. Point number three, we, have, we see the results of hope. We've seen the plan of hope, the object of hope. Now we see the results of hope. Look what it says beginning in verse 10. Rejoice, ye Gentiles with his people. Rejoice. Rejoice. We should be joyful people. Not just this time of year. Not just because somebody's going to give us something. Not just because we're going to have a, a, a big meals to look forward to. We should rejoice if we know Christ as Savior, as Master and Lord of life. Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. Listen to this. And there shall be a root of Jesse. Read it again. And he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. He shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. Do you live like Jesus Christ is Lord and master of your life? Walking in in service to the Lord Jesus Christ is not a walk of begrudgment. His commandments are not grievous. When you realize just how amazing it is that the same God that created you, that you personally sinned against, left the perfection of heaven that all he ever knew in eternity past was fellowship, communion, and love with the Father and the Spirit. And he leaves all of that to be born of a virgin, laid in a cave, born in a cave and laid in a feeding trough and live in the same sin-cursed world that we do and have to... Uh, deal with the same ailments, hot, cold, hunger, thirst, tired, and for 33 years was faced with the same temptations that you and I are, yet without sin. Willingly die in your place. Let me tell you something. When you grasp that, when you grasp that, that it should have been you on that cross instead of Jesus, when you grasp that it should be you in hell instead of Jesus on the cross, when you grasp that that He died for you and rose victoriously from the grave for you, when you understand that, let me tell you something, it sets you so free to serve Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yes, it's a struggle to obey Him. It's a struggle to live in obedience to the Lord. We still walk around in this fleshly body. We are assaulted by a world system to tempt us to sin. But when you realize what all God has done and endured and purchased on your behalf and what he has planned for you for all eternity, then you realize just what a privilege it is to be able to say, Jesus is my Lord. Look what what else it says in verse 13. Results. Results. First result we just talked about is you live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Secondly, Look what it says in verse 13. You're filled with all joy. We're going to talk more about this in the weeks to come. Happiness is temporary, whereas joy is eternal. Happiness fleets. We talked about it with Jonah last week when Jonah was, uh, when he was underneath that booth and the Lord appointed a vine to grow over top of him to give him shelter from the heat. Jonah was happy. He was happy because his temporary needs were met. When the vine was gone and he wasn't happy anymore. But in Christ, we have a joy that it will stay with us no matter how our circumstances are. A joy that stays with you regardless of whether you're happy or not, regardless of whether you're sad, regardless of whatever circumstances. 
Because Jesus purchased it on our behalf. Keeps on going. Verse 13. Peace in believing. Peace in believing. We're going to talk about peace next week. Four types of peace in the Bible. Peace with God. Peace of God. Peace from God. And peace on earth. The Christian has a peace that passes all understanding. Peace that keeps us in the midst of each and every one of the storms of life. And it comes from the God of hope, the Prince of Peace. Then it goes on to say abounding in hope, abounding in hope. That word abound means to exist in large quantities, to exist in large quantities. This hope that we have is a gift from God. It is a gift that was promised long ago and fulfilled in the virgin birth, sinless life, sacrificial death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. It was the prayer of the Apostle Paul that the readers of this letter at the Church of Rome would continuously dwell in, an, in the abundance of eternal hope. The Apostle Paul wrote this, but he did so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which made this part of the canon, part of the sacred scriptures. Therefore, it is God's intention for all of his children, for all of his church to abide in that abundant Hope. How do we abide in that hope? That leads to our final point. We got to be plugged into the source. Point number four, the source of hope. Look again with me at verses 12. I want to read verses 12 and 13 again one last time. It says, and again, Isaiah said, there shall be a root of Jesse and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles and in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy, peace and believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. What's our source of hope? What's the source that we need to be plugged into? The triune God of the Scriptures. We have a threefold hope because we serve a triune God. Not three different gods, but one eternal Godhead existing in three uh, eternal persons. In verse uh, 12, we see the root of Jesse. That's God the Son. That's the Lord Jesus. Verse 13, the God of hope, that's God the Father. And then at the end of verse 13, through the power of the Holy Ghost, that's God the Holy Spirit. Again, the study of Christ is Christ being God and study of the eternal Godhead can, will fill your soul with so much joy, so much peace. We sing that song, right? More about Jesus would I know, more of His grace to others show, more of His saving fullness see, Right? That's the thing. The more about God that we know, the more it blesses us. The richly our the more rich our faith becomes, knowing more about God, who He is, His personhood, His nature, and we're to earnestly contend for that because nothing else on earth can provide this hope. The Triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Right? None is not less than the other. Right, and, and we think that as Christians, yeah, I believe in the Trinity, but I have a hard time explaining it. All of us do. God is not the Father. The Father is not the Son. I mean, uh, uh, Jesus is not the Father. The Father is not the Son. The Father and the Son are not the Spirit. They're all, there's three separate, but one eternal God. And you know, when you think about it, the person of the, of the Godhead that gets um, left out more often than not is really the one that we can say is most prevalent in our lives, and that's the Holy Spirit. 
He's here now upon the earth. He is within each and every believer. He comes and He dwells within us when we are regenerated, right? He, he, he convicts us of our sin. He comforts us when, when we need comforting. And He is suppressing evil from being is what it totally could be, right? You People think, well, oh, oh, everything is getting so bad. Yeah, it is, but it could be a lot worse. And if you read 2 Thessalonians, the, the, the last chapter, when it talks about when he that leadeth is taken out, he's not talking about the church. The church is always defined, explained as a she. The he that is taken out of here is the Holy Spirit. And so when the church is raptured out of here, who's taking us out of here? The Holy Spirit of God is going to transport us out of here. And when he does, it's going to be hell on earth because that restriction that's holding, that's withholding sin from being as bad as it possibly can be is going to be gone and it's going to be hell on earth for seven years. But our source of hope is the triune God, our, the triune God of the Bible. Nothing else on earth can provide this hope. So in order to abound in the hope of God and endure the trials of this life, is to continue to believe in God, which is done through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And the greatest power that the Holy Spirit has upon this earth is the Word, is the Word of God. Reading the Word and feeding and dining upon His truths and His promises causes our spirits to stir and the Holy Spirit to fill us with comfort, love, joy, peace, and hope. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, Hope itself is like a star, not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity and only to be discovered in the night of adversity. Jesus is our hope. In the baby Jesus, God was fulfilling the hope of his people in a way they did not recognize. You and I might not see it now, but God has already acted for us. And God is working right now even now, behind the scenes, to bring about His goodwill. The key to re is to remember Jesus who knows our situation and whose Spirit is in us as a down payment for the glory yet to come. Listen to me. God is not done. God is not done. God was not done when Noah was on the boat. God was not done when Sarah was barren. God was not done when Joseph was in prison. God was not done when Moses was on the run from Pharaoh and the children of Israel were pinned against the Red Sea. God was not done when the walls of Jericho blocked the possession of the promised land. God was not done when Gideon was hiding from the Midianites. God was not done when Samson was seduced by a woman and was blinded. God was not done when Ruth was widowed. God was not done when David was mocked as a boy facing a giant. God was not done when Job's children were all killed. God was not done when government officials persecuted Daniel. And God was certainly not done when Jonah was in the belly of that whale. God was not done when Paul couldn't get rid of that thorn in his flesh. And God was not done when Jesus was put in the grave. Folks, God is not done. Hope is not undone. Because he's not undone. I'm going to leave you with the, with, with the words of Titus 2.13. We're looking for that blessed hope. And glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, 
Jesus Christ. This season and always, our hope is in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, we thank you for the privilege to be able to dissect a portion of it and to think about your attributes, to honor you for being God, to praise you for the hope that we have in Christ. God, there's nowhere on this earth with anything the earth, the world offers, can we find hope. The only hope that is found that will fasten us when the storms of life come our way is hope in you. Hope in the triune God of heaven and earth. And it is our desire that we live out that hope. That people look at us and see that we are a people who have hope because we serve the God of all hope. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.